0: I hope that you brought your Bible here today to follow with me. I won't use it as much as I normally do, but we always use it. And we have a custom here at our church, and that is we stand when we read the Word of God out of respect for God's Holy Word. Would you stand with me, please, as I read a very short passage, but a very important one. Galatians chapter number 6, I read to you from verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Concentrate and look with me at that verse. Hear it in your heart today. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. Paul said, I'm an apostle I have been given the inspiration of God to write a third of the New Testament, but I don't glory in that. The thing I glory in, the thing that I feel most that I have accomplished is that I know Christ and I know the cross. God forbid that we should glory at the Baptist temple, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto us, and we are. Under the world. Thank you, and you may be seated. One day a few years ago, I felt the need to waste some of my life. And so I turned on the television. And there I turned I found a real-time waster. It's called the Family Feud. And as I sat there wasting my precious life, the host said to one of the families. You know how they have families on each side and they're asking these questions. Name five religious symbols. And the first one right out of the gate said, Bible. And the host said, you're right. And the next one said, candle. And the host said, yeah, you're right. The other one said, steeple. No, nobody said that. Another one said, dove. And I sat there and I said, is anybody going to say cross? That's most obvious. That would have been first, wouldn't it? But it wasn't to be. They never said it. And I'm sitting on my couch looking at, glued in on that TV screen thinking, it's the cross. Come on, come on, come on, dummy. It's the cross. And nobody ever said cross when he said religious symbols. Well, I think we would have been there and we would have said cross, wouldn't we? Probably first, hopefully first. It doesn't look like it in here, but 30 years ago today, we dedicated this auditorium to the Lord. 30 years ago today. And uh, God has helped us keep it preserved. It's still a nice place. The architect sat down with me and said, uh, You know, the focal point of the building, the place everybody looks when they sit down throughout the service is the baptistry probably in a Baptist church. What do you want in the baptistry? And he said, you could put a river scene and have an artist come in and paint a baptismal scene. We considered a whole bunch of things, and then we decided, no, a simple wooden cross, because better than anything else in all of the world, the cross represents the Christian message. And so we put a big cross up there that I'm sure you've noticed. It was the symbol of Christianity from the very earliest times, the cross. They tried other things. For a while, among Christians, a flame was the symbol of the faith. And then it became a dove for a while. And then the Ichthus signed the fish that the Christians drew in the ground to identify each other. Some people used the alpha and omega letters of the Greek alphabet where Christ had referred to himself as the alpha and omega. But finally, everybody settled. Almost by consensus and universally, it's the cross, the cross where Jesus died. And so the apostle wrote, the only thing I have to glory in is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chris sung that beautiful and wonderful song. Towering over all of history is the cross. A couple of hundred years ago, the man who was the governor of Hong Kong, a British nobleman and a fine Christian wrote another song about the cross. And he said, in the cross of Christ, I glory. And his phrase was towering over all the wrecks of time. When I was thinking about what to preach today, I thought of that phrase, towering over the wrecks of time. Boy, are we not watching a wreck in time today. We're watching a train wreck of a country. And yet, towering over it all is our hope, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one today, if you're taking notes with me, me, the cross is central to the Christian message. That's what Paul said here. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the the cross that makes Christianity unique today. Christianity is not one of many great religions. Christianity is a unique religion. Either it's right or right. Or it's not That's for you to decide But Christi- the heart of the Christian message Is the cross itself You see all religions I don't care what they are Buddhism, Hinduism, Mormonism Whatever you mean you, you, can, you can name all these different religions of the world They all have one thing in common They teach people to live a moral life In order to acquire salvation And so no matter what other religion you look to, it's a religion that you can describe with one word, and it's do. Do something. Join a church. Get baptized. Do good works. Give money. Treat people charitably. And you can go. It's do, 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 do. When I ask people about their salvation, I listen very much to see, are they going to go talk to me about the gospel? Or are they going to tell me what they're trying to do in order to be saved? And every religion in the world, you can spell it with two letters, it's do. Christianity, you spell it with four letters. It's done, it's done. When Jesus Christ hung his head there on the cross and said, it is finished, then he meant exactly that, The price for sin had been paid. The door was now open for forgiveness and for eternal life. Yes, Christianity is not spelled do anything. It is spelled done because Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation by His grace and through faith. You see, at the cross, the very first thing that God was interested in was justice. We don't hear that much. We hear a lot about the cross representing God's love, but we ought to hear an equal amount about the cross representing God's justice. And at the cross, the first thing that had to be accomplished was sin had to be paid for. Justice had to be satisfied. Sin, the work of grace had to be accomplished before God could bestow grace upon us. And then after justice was done, then grace, God's unmerited, God's unearned, God's undeserved favor could be extended to each one of us. Dr. R.G. Lee was one of my heroes as a preacher. He pastored the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, originally from Chester, South Carolina, one of our own men here. And Dr. Lee was known for his oratorical skills. And Dr. Lee described the cross this way and how essential it is to our faith. He said to take away the cross would be like taking heat out of fire, cold out of ice, the melody out of music, the numbers out of math, like taking the facts out of history and the words out of speech. If you take away the cross, you no longer have Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. The cross is the heart of our faith. It's central to the Christian message. And so it must dominate our preaching. It must always be there in our singing. It must be on our minds. It is the way that we approach God in our prayers through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins. The cross is central to the Christian message. Number two, the cross was God's plan from the foundation of the world. The cross was God's plan from the foundation of the world. I turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter number 13 and verse number 8, and I read these words, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, as the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. The Lamb, look how he's described, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before creation, before God ever spoke the world into existence, he had a plan And that plan involved the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people always saying to me, where did evil come from? Why did God allow sin? Well, God, God's most powerful archangel was Lucifer, who later became Satan. And Satan got this prideful idea that he could take over, that he was as powerful as the God that he had, who had created him. And so Satan rebelled against God, against his creator. And his rebellion was a a conspiracy, if you will, to overthrow the deity. And Satan and a host of angels, a third of the created angels of heaven who followed him, they rebelled against God. There was a war in heaven, the Scripture says. And evil entered through that act of rebellion. And Adam and Eve, the first humans, they... They partook of that when they also disobeyed their creator. And so sin came in, a little embryonic seed, if you will, not a great overthrow of the whole planet in one day, a little disobedience of God, a rebellion, a conspiracy against God's law. And sin entered in. And when sin came, man's whole nature was changed. Man's nature was changed. Sin separated him from God. And every one of us in our natural state are separated from God by our sins because God is a thrice holy God. The angels in heaven sing holy, holy, holy. God is a holy God. He cannot countenance sin. And so before creation, God knew this was going to happen. He knew that evil would one day enter. And he instituted a plan to rescue man. And the plan was the cross. The cross was God's plan from before the creation of the world. Listen to me. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross was not a way for God to meet an emergency that surprised him. He knew that sin would come. And when Christ came, he knew from his very earliest days on this planet, What awaited him He knew he had to go to the cross It was his mission in life And so every other person Every person who's ever been born on this planet We were born to live But Jesus was born to die Now let that absorb into your mind here today Every person is born to live We think about living life We think about the the activities and family and the good times we're going to have. But Jesus Christ was born, and from day one, he knew that his mission was was to die. There's a painter of the last century. His name is Holman Hunt. And he painted this picture that's up there. I wish we could get it in a larger form, but we can't. But, oh, every time I look at that picture, it stirs my heart. It's the, the painting is called The Shadow of the Cross. And here's Christ. His arms extended like this. He's worked all day long. He's in his carpenter's shop, carpenter's shop, as you can see. And like a working man who's worked all day and he's at the evening, he's just stretching his muscles out after being so tired and sore possibly. Behind him there in his shop is a tool rack. And if you could see it a little closer, there's all the tools that a carpenter would be using. They're hanging on that rack. If you notice, when he stretches it out, the evening sun is at its low ebb there, and it casts the shadow, and that tool rack looks like the beams of the cross. And the look on his face is, oh God, I know what that means. And in the left There is a woman. We would assume it's Mary. The painter said it was Mary. And you can't see her face. She's looking away from him. And it's as if her body language says, Oh, and she recognizes what lies in the future for her son that she loves so much, the shadow of the cross. And the painter is trying to say that all through his life, The shadow of death hung over the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, that great disruptor of our plans, that destroyer of our dreams. Death disrupted Napoleon and Caesar and Alexander the Great and Lincoln and Jefferson and Washington and Reagan Have I ever told you that Ronald Reagan was... That's an inside joke for you guests here. I always tell people that he was my favorite and still is. But all the great men of history, their plans are disrupted by death. They didn't get to carry out all their dreams. And so it is with us. But with Jesus, it was not a disruption Death didn't disturb his plan. Death was his goal. Think about that. Death was his purpose. He came to die a horrible, wrenching, bloody, violent death. And he came to do that because he knew the books of heaven had to be balanced. Justice had to be satisfied. The price for sin, every man's sin, every sin from the beginning of the earth until the last person dies, the last sin is committed, every sin had to be paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was his mission. And standing before Pilate, about to be sentenced after he'd been so cruelly beaten, he stands there and, Pilate is conversing with him, and Jesus looks at him, and he says, for this cause came I. Why did I come? I didn't come for all the reasons that other men live. I came to die. The cross was God's plan from the foundation of the world. And the cross reveals to me today the sinfulness of sin. Boy, we live in a culture today that's glossed over sin. Nothing's wrong anymore. If you say anything about it, you're judging somebody. We've arrived at a time where you can't can't tell the truth about reality, the reality of sin. You see, sin is the great thing that's plaguing us. Our greatest problem is not inflation. Our greatest problem is not crime. The motivation for crime is, is because men have that sinful, broken nature that I talked about that came with sin entering into the culture. The Bible teaches me that the sin nature is universal. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. One of the biggest problems I have is that people tend to elevate a preacher as if he's some different breed of cat, you know, that his blood doesn't run And he doesn't sin That he doesn't have evil thoughts That he's a little cut above them And I'm telling you It's not true ladies and gentlemen It's not true It is not true at all That we're all sinners all have sinned and missed the mark. We've come short of the glory of Almighty God. We've broken His laws. We're all broken people. We all have this contagion of sin. This virus is in our DNA, every single one of us. It's difficult for moral people. I've observed something for 53 years. When I talk to people who are very moral people, very scrupulous about their lifestyle, it's hard for them to comprehend that they really are sinners. They look around and compare themselves to somebody who's worse than them always. I never have had anybody say, you know what, I'm thinking about my life and, uh, well, I'm not as good as him. No, they don't do that. Well, they do. They compare themselves to somebody. They know that they're a little notch above morally, perhaps. And it's difficult. If you're a moral person here today, you're probably having a hard time accepting the fact that I've just said that we're all corrupted by sin. It probably goes against your grain. In fact, the deepest division in the in the United States probably is not Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. You know what the greatest division, even in this crowd today, probably is? It's that those of us who think like secularists, we think that the basic nature of man is good, that man is good. His problem is the environment. His problem is lack of education or poverty or stuff like that you hear it all the time we think that man is basically good he's got this little spark of deity down inside himself say the liberals and if you just kind of blow on it and the environmental conditions are right it'll it'll flame up and 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 basically that way we can save ourselves if we can save ourselves then i tell you jesus christ was a fool Why would he come and go through what he went through if if salvation can be attained any other way than through the cross? But Jesus Christ was not a fool. Jesus Christ knew the nature of man. He knew that man cannot save himself. You can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And so the great division is most of the world, the secular world, said, oh, we can improve man over time. Change his environment. The problem is not his environment. The problem is his heredity. His problem is what's in his bloodstream. And we who believe the Bible say, no, no, man is not by nature good. Man is by nature evil. And you want to argue about it? Turn on the news and watch it for 30 minutes and then come back and tell me how good men are today. You'll see the difference. And we tend to equate morality with righteousness, but you know the old prophet Isaiah said, our righteousnesses in the sight of God are like a filthy rag. <laughs> he, he put us down pretty hard, didn't he? You know, it's no wonder people don't want to hear Bible preaching anymore. Most of the preaching is sort of feel-good stuff. You know, don't tell anybody they're sinners. And we judge ourselves by our good works and our intentions Well, I intended to do thus and so. It just didn't quite work out, preacher. We grade ourselves on the curve. We grade ourselves on the curve. Let me tell you something. Don't miss this. God does not grade on a curve. God grades grades according to his divine law. And every one of us have broken it, haven't we? Yes, we have. And so at the cross, we see what God's attitude towards sin is. Sin has to be judged. The first purpose of the cross was justice. Every sin punished. I'm not a moviegoer, but I went to see The Passion of the Christ. What was it, 12, 14 years ago? And I sat in that darkened theater, and I watched that, those scenes. And now you've seen them many, many times on television and so on. And in that movie, you see evil. I thought they did a wonderful job depicting evil as it ought to be depicted. They stripped away every bit of its respectability of evil. And they see that evil released upon the Son of God. So horrible I was in that theater, and I couldn't, I couldn't control my emotions. My, the tears were running down my face. I kept trying not to, to show any emotion. I don't know why, but it just didn't seem right, but I couldn't hold it back. And I, I, came, I wanted to turn away when I saw that Roman beating, and yet I had read about it, and I knew that's the way it was. It was the creature of God that God had made, spitting in the face of the Creator. It was rebellion on steroids. And I realized the hand that held that bloody whip that day during that flogging was my hand, because it was my sins that sent him there. It was my sin and yours that jammed that crown of thorns down into his skull. It was my sins that wielded the hammer that drove those nails into his quivering flesh. It was my sin, my sins that thrust that spear up into his side, the final lethal blow that took his life as it penetrated his heart. He died for me. It was my sin that drove him to the cross. John Stott is an outstanding theologian. And John Stott said, listen to this, I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. In a world of so much pain, how could I ever worship a God who was immune to it? In a world of so much pain, and boy, we all know about that, How could I ever worship a God who was immune to pain? But he wasn't immune to pain. At the cross, God himself had become a man in Christ Jesus. And he suffered that horrible, horrible, bloody death. Lastly, the cross reveals God's attitude towards sin But the cross reveals the love of God for us. After justice has been satisfied, now love and grace and mercy flow from the cross. You see, God's love today, ladies and gentlemen, is not the mushy, sentimental feelings that people today call love. It has nothing to do with a feeling. It's an action. The word agape is the word translated love in the New Testament every time it refers to God or to Jesus Christ. And it's not talking about a feeling. It's talking about acting in behalf, in the best interest of the people that you love. And God didn't act out of some temporary emotion. He looked down at the perishing mass of humanity for all of the centuries And he acted in our behalf. His love flows out of his character. It's what he is. The Bible says God is love. It doesn't say God has love. It says God is love. His very nature is to love. And you see, at the cross, he demonstrated that love. The greatest sacrifice he could make was to give his only begotten, his only beloved son, and let him be punished for every sin Ever committed on this planet And then when that punishment was complete And that justice was satisfied Now God can let his love flow out God's love is like the sun The sun doesn't work to give out light and heat It's just what it is It's, 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 it's the sun's nature to shine And it's God's nature to love us And the holy God of heaven has punished all the sins of humanity in order now to bestow his love upon us. That's what the cross means, and that's why Paul said, God forbid that we would emphasize anything else except the almighty love of God. It is the heart of our message. I said a few minutes ago that it was difficult for moral people to feel like they're sinners. But there's another side. It's difficult for immoral people to see that God loves them in spite of their sins. So the moralist tends to be self-righteous. They can't see their need for the cross. And the person who's lived in deep sin, they think they're not worthy of the love of the cross. But God loved us in spite of our sins. While we were yet sinners, Romans says, God commended his love to us, and he died, Christ died for our sins. If you don't think you're worthy today, I want to remind you, he doesn't love us based on whether we're worthy or not. He loves us based on who he is, and he never changes. The cross has been the theme of more songs than any other, any other theme in the Bible. The old rugged cross made the difference in a life filled with sorrow and regret. Great song. Anybody here today filled with sorrow about their past life, your regret? I love that old cross, said the writer of the old rugged cross. I love that old cross, so despised, By the world It has a wondrous Attraction to me In the cross of Christ Our glory Towering above all the wrecks of time Greater than all the mess man has made of it Is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ And it's victory And there's room at the cross For you And though millions have come, there's still room for one. And there's room at the cross for you. I drove to Lake City the other day. I don't know who in the world was responsible, but praise God for the people. Put that big cross up down there. Wouldn't you like to see one of those on the city limits of every city in America today? Just dot the whole country with the cross of Christ. Because the cross, ladies and gentlemen, is Christianity. And you take it out, and there is no Christianity. You take it away, there is no salvation. You take it away, and there is no hope. Praise God today. We glory in the cross. Our heads are bowed.